0: So if you're following along, the scripture comes from Mark 1. We're going to be starting in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little bit farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John on a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they they left their father Zebedee on the boat with the hired men and followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let us pray for Mike. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words. I pray for Mike as he teaches about you. I pray that our hearts and our ears are open to hear what you need us to hear. I pray that these words change us and inspire us to follow you. Thank you. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. I want to welcome all of you that are here in worship and in the name of Jesus Christ and the spirit of his loving and caring church. I want to welcome those of you that are part of the church online. We're glad to have you with us at Marion Methodist. And I need to take just a couple moments here as we begin and really address the congregation of Marion Methodist about a couple of things. Um, when you heard Caden speaking about the brokenness of the kids, kids that were coming with parents that had addictions, uh, broken uh, marriages and that sort of thing it's important for us to understand some simple truths you know I had a friend named uh, Mike Iaconelli, uh bless his memory that wrote a book called messy spirituality a few years ago and he makes that image in there is that so many people believe that when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that their life and spiritual life just goes on a consistently up uh, you know better and better incline of course the reality is in our lives is that life is messy and if we were to write uh, you know the line of our life it kind of goes like this right it scribbles all because life is messy and for most of us life doesn't work out exactly the way we've planned it and so why we lean into God is because God gives us hope in the midst of that uh, messiness and gives us the opportunity even though we don't see it to know that better days are ahead And we pray for that for the students that are part of summer games ministry and all the students that go to uh, The schools in our in our neighborhoods here And and I take that pause and and ask you that because there are always people that are broken and grieving among us And by way of communication and also so that you might not make an error in the days to come uh, one specific thing and this is for the congregation of mary methodist so if you're with us on the internet and not part of our church apologies to this but um, gina mcconaughey is our director of music here choral music and um, as you could tell over the last few months she was pregnant and with twins um, sadly on uh, Tuesday she went into full labor at 20 weeks of pregnancy uh, delivered sophie and olive um, who only had the ability to um Um, Endure a few minutes on this earth Um, And both of them uh, went back to the heaven from which they're sent But of course mike and gina as vicky mentioned her prayer are broken and aching and I I tell you that for for three reasons one that you might pray for them second that you might support them And third, you know, obviously when someone's pregnant, we want to know how that came out so that when you come in contact with them um, You can be loving and kind and not inquisitive uh, with them so that that part I think is important for us and I know that many of you and several of you because I've known you for a long time have been through somewhat similar experiences the loss of a child and so you know the ache and the brokenness of heart that that comes uh, into your life so I I I encourage you to in appropriate ways to to love and help them see um, that there are better days ahead but the days they are in right now are somewhere between dark and very dark so uh, bless them um, secondly, um, uh, before I go right to the to the proclamation of the word um, today at our bench, you saw Gina or Jill uh, uh, Helling uh, leading and, and work, working with our worship team. And, and uh, for us, it's her last Sunday. Seventeen Sundays she sat at the bench for Mrs. Beach, but Diane is is healed now. Her wing is working, and so we really applaud Jill for the work she's done. She was fantastic. So give her a hand. There is. Uh, there's no way shape or form that there's no way shape or form that she was a sub because that's that i said she played a piece at the first service and i said that's how you do that she's fantastic and and last before i go to the, to the word um a week from tomorrow um our new uh, minister for discipleship and mission Gonzalo santian will be joining us And on the same day, our new minister for worship and technology, uh, Jared Edwards, will be joining us. So their first Sunday will be August 7th. So on August 7th, I want to give them a pounding. Um, No, it's not like it sounds. It's not the junior high pounding. Uh, There's this old Methodist tradition that comes out of England uh, called a pounding. And it's kind of a way to welcome people. And so when they come in, we'll have a table for Gonzo's family. They both have families of six, so they're not coming without. And they'll be moving into houses this next week. But uh, we want to give them a pounding, which means you bring a pound of something. So a pound of flowers, a pound of nails, a pound of sugar, a pound of candy corn. uh, Something that would show them that they're beloved and we'd want them in. So two weeks from today bring a pound for gonzo and a pound for jared um i think it's kind of a nice way and it's uh, fairly low impact for you and the staff parish it's been a lot of transition this summer um so those are the preparatory words let's get right into the gospel so Mario mentioned, we've been walking through Mark, uh, through the book of Mark. March 6th began our Lenten season, all the way through next Sunday. We've been preaching a series called The Ministry of Jesus, kind of in three segments. The first segment was during Lent, where we talked the ministry of Jesus for us. And in that, we talked about the sacrifice Christ makes uh, to, to uh, bring us uh, to atonement with Him, to be at one with Him, and then of course, um, his ob- obviously the promise of resurrection as He goes through Um, The crucifixion and resurrection secondly then we preach the series called the ministry of christ to us which is the time that jesus is giving us instruction and encouragement as to how to live in the world and this last series that goes and extends through next week is jesus ministry with us in where he is calling equipping and and sending us. So, in the scripture that Mar- the scriptures that Mario read this morning, what you see is as Jesus begins his ministry, sharing with us the kingdom message. He does that by calling disciples to himself, and the phrase "Come, follow me" that was read in English a couple of times during the scripture reading today. Actually, and without taking a foray into um, ancient languages, Greek and whatnot. In its original form, the phrase come follow me literally translates to here, behind me. So when Jesus met Peter, James, Andrew, John on the the seashore, what he said to them was here, behind me. So Jesus first, to those four, and his most recent to you, call to be a disciple is a call to say here, behind me, to get behind me. So I lead with the question, who do you get behind? Who do you get behind? I was watching a a YouTube video, and on this YouTube video, there's a professor of philosophy, and he was talking about how we all pick leaders in our lives. And one of the young students, a college student, stood, went to the microphone, and said, Professor, I disagree with you strongly. I have always and will always be my own leader. I'm my own leader i have never in my life followed anyone and the professor simply says you're wrong sir and then he went on to say and said you are speaking our common language which is to say we all understood the words you were saying you did not invent this language you did not invent the words you said but you followed someone in learning how to form your tongue and how to breathe breath in and to say the words and construct them into sentences. You followed someone in learning how to speak. And not only that, you walked to the microphone, much in the same way that all ambulatory people do. You you didn't invent your own way of movement by maybe putting one hand down and moving along that way. You walked pretty much just like everyone in this room. And guess what? You learned that from the behavior of others. You followed the adults when you were a small child and decided that's the fastest way to get around. And so you did follow someone. and, And you came to this lecture clothed. So you're following the social norms and mores of our society. So don't say that you don't have a leader. And you are expressing a widely held school of thought, although you've modified it with affiliating, you know, with the people that you affiliate with and and share similar feelings. So in reality, sir, you are a follower because we all follow someone. Now, they never went back to the student and showed what his reaction was. But what that professor was saying and expressing was this simple human reality, we follow. We follow someone. We get behind people. We get behind philosophies. We get behind lifestyles. And then we we lean into what persuades you to follow. What persuades you to follow? Well, let me go with the frivolous first. Years ago, when they had newspapers, remember that? Newspapers papers we took the des moines register we lived up in north central iowa and every year we would put the march madness bracket on our uh, refrigerator and we'd all pick our teams and when little lisa my youngest daughter was about five she didn't know about basketball her sister was into it you know and uh, teresa knew we did it she knew about basketball anyway and and i was into it we'd fill out our brackets and i remember little lisa and i said lisa what teams do you want to pick And she simply said this. She said, Dad, I want the blue ones. I said, what do you mean the blue ones? She says, every time two teams play, I want to pick whoever's wearing blue. And I said, well, what happens if two teams are playing that have blue on? She says, then I want the darkest color of blue. I said, well, that's just silly. And then you stop and think. You say, so in college basketball, who wears blue? Oh, Kansas, Duke north carolina kentucky <laughs> villanova <laughs> that kid's smart to follow them <laughs> and she won so um so you know i know that that's kind of frivolous and silly but more importantly we follow other things in, in our thinking you know in our in our loving and our doing we have to ask what persuades you to follow? Is it the newest thing or thought? Is the thing that's come out recently, the thing that's just grabbed the media or the thing that's, you know, uh, you know circling the globe on TikTok or something that? Is it the newest thought? Anything that challenges everything from the way it's been and, and says, well, there's something new out here? Or is it the opposite of that? The oldest thought, the tried and true, the thinking that's, that stood by the test of time, the things that, that has endured at least, at least, years and years who and what type of thinking determines what we become who is persuading us to follow them see the early disciples were persuaded to locate themselves behind Jesus because of his per- person of course they'd seen the amazing sermons of course they'd seen some, the amazing miracles and all that and their decisive response understand their response is very decisive they get up they go and when Mario wrote that, they drop their nets. That's decisive. That's demonstrative. They drop their nets, and they go. And their response is to his person. Because through him, through Jesus himself, through the person of Jesus of Nazareth, they see something that touches the destiny of human beings. They see something that is more than just a transient human. They see something that is eternal in that personality. And so Jesus' ministry with us, is a ministry of inclusion he brings us in now now it's not a ministry of equality in role power authority but he does welcome us in because equality between leader and follower does not exist disciples are learners those that are not in the lead are learning how to become that okay and sometimes we have interesting lessons in why we need to learn you know, years ago, I was working in the construction industry and uh, I was young. I was, I think, between college and high school and we were driving down the road once and the fellow I worked with all the time, a guy named Brad, I was kind of like, you know, watching what we did all day, every day and we were basically doing the same thing. And even though he was a full-time lawyer, uh, laborer and he had put his whole life to it, I got to thinking to myself, you know, because I was 18, I should be making the same amount of money as him, you know? <laughs> And so I said, hey, Brad, what's the deal? Why do you make so much more money than me? And he says, uh, safety chains. And I'm like, what? He says, you remember that one day we were over there by Washington High School and we were making that turn, and I had told you to fill up the, the trailer with all the junky air conditioners and stuff that were taken out of the building? Yeah. And I told you to attach the trailer to the, to the van? I said, yeah. He says, remember how we made that corner? and the trailer went right by us, <laughs> I put safety chains on. That's the difference. you got to learn, Mike. You can't, you can't be the leader until you've learned. And, and that's where we're at, you know, as disciples. Uh, you know, we have to learn, such as it was, how to put the safety chains on. We're, disciples are, are learners. We're being transformed by instruction, by trial, by error. And we will make mistakes as disciples, but we need to continue to practice as we learn because Jesus calls disciples. He doesn't call equals. Disciples need to learn to struggle and, and, and to, to, to figure out what it means fully and completely to follow him. And I know you've heard this scripture before, but are we learning what it fully means to follow Christ? See, because the demand to follow means we got to go when you follow you can't do it seated you can go and means leaving and when you leave you leave something these fishermen peter james john uh andrew they had to leave what they knew they left their businesses and they went now it does say in the scripture that that two of them left the business in charge of the hired hands but the others just left they just got up and went and obviously when we read the scripture it's not so that we can camp out in the ancient word but it's that we can understand the ancient word and what it says to us today so the question is what are you supposed to leave to follow Jesus and we probably need to sit in that question for a minute because all of us do need to leave the same uh, all of us do need to leave the same thing and you remember a few weeks ago uh, in the sermon in the scriptures, uh, Peter said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. So we do have to leave everything. And when I talk about everything, that, that's not an ethereal thought process. It's like, what is part of our everything? You know, for me, it always starts with our vision of the meaning of life and um, God's vision of the meaning of life. We, we have a vision of what we think the meaning of life is, but we need to lean into God's vision, not simply our own. We also need to, to leave what we think the value of, uh, of, of human life is and, and replace it with God's. We, we, we need to see that, uh, like go back to that college student, and we need to see our role of as leader of our own lives and let it be replaced with Jesus as the leader of our lives we need to get behind him so we all need to leave the same thing but we all need to leave some specific things as well because the beauty of God's creation is that all of us are unique all of us are independent all of us are individuals and we like to express ourselves and so our discipleship is always in our specifics because the specifics of your life are so much different than the specifics of my life. These first four guys that Jesus calls leave, and, and Levi, they leave what they know. They leave what they love to follow him. And so when we say we have to leave things specific to us, we have to ask the question that is, what must I leave To follow Jesus and of course I think about this all the time and you know specific to me is I need to be willing to leave whatever security I've built for the unforeseen promise of God the unseen promise of God I need to be willing to do that and that lines with you as well I have to be willing to leave what I think I've built or earned you know not just money and so that means if I have to, I have to Marion Marian Methodist. If I have to follow Christ to go somewhere else, then that's what I go. And, and even as difficult, if Christ is calling me to follow him and he says, well, you know what? You've been a pastor long enough. It's time for you to be something else. Then I have to be willing to do that as well. And of course, as a human being, I have to be willing to drop my opinions of what God's intentions are and allow his word To say, which it always does, exactly what it is, and to say exactly what it means. What about you? You know, you have specifics as well in your life that you may have to leave. Now, just one little rabbit I'm going to chase today, because I think it's important in the context of this scripture. There is this huge difference between Jesus and the rabbis of his day, and that is one simple word. And that word is recruitment. Rabbis did not recruit. You wanted to be, sit in the teaching of the rabbi, you applied for it. And the rabbi took as many students as they wanted, usually 12. And you paid for that. Now, years ago, when I was working for a small college, uh, I was at a convention kind of event, and I was talking to a person that also worked for a small college here in Iowa. And I said, well, how's recruiting going? And they said, same as always. I'm like, what does that mean? He says, well, we're going to have 300 in our freshman class because that's how, we, how many we want. And I'm like, well, that's not kind of how we operate. We're trying to get as many students as we can. Maybe we get up one year, down the next year. He says, no, that's not what we do. I said, well, how do you do it? He says, well, we have 300 spots for freshmen. We have 10,000 applicants. We pick who we want. Most places don't do that. You're tracking down. You're recruiting. And in the case of Jesus, different than the rabbis, there's no stories anywhere in Jewish literature that shows rabbis calling disciples to themselves, recruiting. But Jesus is very different. He comes to you. He absolutely comes to you. He comes to you wherever you are. He is recruiting you, saying to you, here, behind me. In Mark chapter 2 he goes to Levi's house. The others the, the, the tax collectors were sitting around and like, what are you doing there? What in the world are you doing with a guy like that? Why would you go there? And Jesus simply says, because that's where he is. And he comes to us too. Why does Jesus come to your house? Now don't think of an address there. Don't, don't think of a you know, a building with a front door or a garage door that you go in all the time i'm talking about your spiritual house why does jesus come to your house first it's where you are and second it's because you matter to him and he comes to affirm you He, he comes to specifically pick you he doesn't just throw a shotgun invitation out to the world hoping to hit a big spread he comes individually and specifically To every single one of us, whether we're here, whether we're worshiping at home, or or whether we've never thought of this. And I want to tell you the truth of something that's going on right now. Those of you that have clicked in, those of you that have driven in, you need to understand, He has already come to you. Christ has already come to you in some real and specific ways, or you would not be here, or you would not be listening or you would not be attending now I'm not saying that how he came to you or what he's beckoning to you with is exactly clear to you in your mind but make no mistake about this he has come to you I'm not saying that you've claimed it yet But there's something that is in your spirit because I am saying you have an inkling that Christ has a hold on your life. You have an inkling that Christ is making some sort of specific call or invitation to you and that you have to do something about it somewhere or at least you have guilt about the fact that you got to get right with God in there somewhere. His affirmation, his, his call to you, his recruiting of you tells you that you are worthy and that your life matters to Him. And His call to you should be life-giving and empowering to, to encourage you to follow Him because the Lord of the universe deems you as worthy and able to become His disciple. Not only that, but you're necessary. Necessary to the advance of His kingdom here on earth. Now, here's one of the beautiful things, maybe the most beautiful thing about Jesus. Though all of that I believe to be true, The trump card is this. You always have a choice. You can receive it or not. You can follow that invitation or you can reject it. Christ is always about choice because he won't come without an invitation. You know, I've received a lot of important invitations in my life. I've received invitations to some of your weddings, which I enjoyed a lot. I've received invitations to have dinner with Governor Vilsack, with Secretary of State Paul Pate. I've received invitations to birthday parties. And just this week, just this week, I received a special invitation for me to extend my car's warranty. <laughs> it's true. We receive a lot of invitations in our lives. And we expend, extend a lot. And I want to tell you this. Jesus needs an invitation to come into your life in my generation I would use this image I would say he's not like the cool kool-aid guy you know the kool-aid guy smash boom boom, and he comes through the wall forces himself into your life just because you like some refreshing beverage Jesus is not like that he's He's like, we have a famous piece of art, a replica of it out here in this, in the center out here. You've seen it before. It's Jesus standing at the door with his hand raised to knock because that's what Christ does. He knocks on the door of your spirit. That's his invitation to you. But he doesn't shove himself in the door. He waits. He waits and he'll come only into your life If you welcome him in, that's his ministry with us. We choose to be with him or not, it is as clear and as decisive as that. May we pray. God, as we come to the close of this worship, we do not come to the close of our relationship with you. And we're reminded, Lord, of how you come to us and In our mind's eye, we find ourselves alone, sitting in a place that's familiar to us, but far from us, from the shadows, comes a figure walking towards us. It's familiar to us, we understand, and we've seen the movement of that figure before, but we can't be quite sure. It draws closer to us and we can see that its intended destination is to come face to face with us. We can clearly see now this figure is male and as he draws even closer we can see it is none but the only Jesus. And as Jesus comes close to us his eyes gaze deeply into our soul. He begins to purse his lips and we wonder what's he going to say to us? Is he going to condemn us for our sins? Is he going to castigate us from drifting away from him? Is he going to encourage us? What's he going to say? And his eyes pierce our hearts. And then he speaks. And he simply says two words Follow me. And then he turns and walks. What to do is ours. We've been invited, we've been called. Whether our actions will be decisive to follow him or not are ours and ours alone. What will you do? The call is before you. This I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.